When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Here's a 49-yard drive, and this one is good. And a tie ball game with two seconds left. And now all that pressure that... Kirk Cousins had to sleep on last night. Cup coming in on the road. This place is going to be loud. It's all right back on number eight. The Saints are the real deal. This was a really tough environment. Uh, I put it right up there with any any time I've ever played. And in the fourth quarter when we had a 10-point lead, he's texting me. He's like, okay, it's time to go up top to Diggs or Thielen to put this game away. And I kept agreeing with him. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. And once we did in the fourth, in overtime to Thielen, when the game is on the line. Play action, Cousins. Thielen, he's got it! Inside the five. The ball sitting at the two. 43 yards from Kirk Cousins to Adam Thielen, and they're two yards away from a win. I, I, I will say, you know, throwing to Rudy is, you know, kind of an acquired deal because he looks covered most of the time, yeah. but he's so big and his hands are so good that if you just give him a chance, he's going to catch it. Cousins throws, passes, All right, thank you, Jonathan Harrison, for putting that together to start the show today with a lot of energy. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, coming off of the Minnesota Vikings 26-20 to win. Uh, Sage, before we get into you breaking down and telling us what the heck happened on those three excellent throws by Kirk Cousins in overtime, because I want you to go in depth and break it down and tell us how they were able to succeed. But first of all, just back it up and tell me your reaction to that win yesterday. Uh, well, one, I have chills from listening to that uh, to that intro. That was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, for the Vikings to go down to New Orleans, get that win in overtime, 
uh, actually even better to get the ball and not give it back to the Saints and win in overtime. Uh, that was, uh, it feels, even though I'm you know not a part of the team per se, I'm not on the team, but it uh, feels like a little redemption for 2009, uh, for that 2009 season, 2010 NFC Championship game. So what a fun game to watch. The Vikings played really, really well. It was a well-played ball game. Uh, they overcome that early turnover by Adam Thielen. And uh, and they everything sort of had to go a sort of I feel like a certain way. Uh, you know the Saints made a couple really big mistakes that that fake punt they had where they uh, were offside that mm-hmm. was going to be a first down that was a huge mistake by them. Uh, there was the spike penalty at the end of the game where maybe they have a chance to take a shot at the end zone. You know Brees throws that interception at the end of the first half and the Vikings end up getting a touchdown out of it. They also miss a field goal at the end of the first half. Uh, the, the, the Saints made a few mistakes and the Vikings. Capitalized and a fantastic win, and obviously the overtime win in the way Kirk Cousins made uh, the, those throws in overtime. In, in particular, you know, two throws uh, that were were just big time, or I should say three, if you talk the touchdown, but three throws in overtime that were big time. And uh, and actually, the play to Adam Thielen, if you remember, about two to three months ago, I was up there. And I did that little chalk talk video that would be, you guys probably still have somewhere on the website. That was one of the plays that we talked about. That was past 14 week X burner, and the X burner route is the X on the high corner. Uh, when it was actually Kyle Rudolph coming across on his deep crossing route as number two, and versus man to man coverage, a lot of times what happens is the corner. Because the receiver's inside and he knows he has that free safety help, he likes to undercut any sort of in-breaking route or anything like that. And he undercuts the play. Thielen gives a little something at the top. He goes high corner. A perfect throw and an unbelievable catch by Adam Thielen. Okay, well, let's go there then with, with the three throws in overtime because I have on the middle of our website right now um, a look at what the players said about those. And we can start with that one, but I also thought that the throw on third and one to Stephon Diggs is is really big there, Sage. Uh, well, it was really, actually, there's even another one. I, the first throw, they just do a play action. They're trying to uh, take a shot a little bit further down the field. No one's there versus zone coverage. Kirk does exactly what you're supposed to do. Don't force it. Gets his check down in the flat. I mm-hmm. think it ended up bringing up a, a, a second short or a third and short. Uh, and uh, they had the screen, which he throws the ball away. There was absolutely going to be nothing there. If he hits uh, Dalvin Cook on the screen, they're probably going to lose five or six yards. So yep. that was actually a good, you know, that, that's a great incompletion uh, uh, by Kirk Cousins. And then, yeah, there's uh, they have a third and one, and uh, they throw a slant. They call it dragon concept, a flat route with a slant, and and it opens up man to man coverage. And, and Kirk hits him right in the chest, which you which you want those those tighter throws, an excellent throw there, uh, and then the you know the Vikings obviously move the ball after that. And 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 that's what was interesting to me, Sage, is that on third and one, everybody in the building is thinking they're going to hand off to Delvin Cook at that point, and it's it's insane there, as you know, you've been there for a playoff game. We won't talk about it, but. The atmosphere there, everybody in the press box had heart rates through the roof, and we're not even playing. We're just covering the game, and we don't even care who wins. And yet just the the, the, the tension, the atmosphere, the noise in there, and, and leaning into all the big, huge moments, you can totally understand why athletes mess these up in the biggest moments. But here's Kirk being given the confidence of his offensive coordinator to throw a slant there, and it's man-press coverage, and everybody's up in the box. They're expecting Delvin Cook to get the ball. It was the perfect 
call there and the perfect throw by Kirk Cousins and the release off the line of scrimmage against Janoris Jenkins from Stephon Diggs. I don't know that people realize because Diggs is just so excellent all the time at being a wide receiver, how hard it is to just break off of the line of scrimmage and be wide open in the middle of the field for an eight yard gain. But Diggs did a great job of it there. And it was the perfect call from Kevin Stefanski. It was a great call. And, you know, slant routes versus bump coverage can be dicey. A lot of times the cornerback is right on the back of the wide receiver. You got to put the ball right on him. But Stefan Diggs, with his incredible quickness, had a great release off the line and gave Kirk a little bit of room just in case it wasn't a perfect throw, but it was a really good throw. But yeah, you know, it all starts on those slants. Those receivers have to get separation. And it's interesting, you know, they they judge these receivers in a couple months. They're going to be talking about which receivers coming out for the draft. And this guy's six foot three and he's 220 pounds and he runs a four four one. And this guy's a this and this guy's hand size is this and blah blah blah. And his step can the guy get separation? from somebody that's trying to guard him. That's what it's all about, and that's what Adam Thielen does so well, and that's not a combine stat. You know what I mean? That's not a three-cone drill. All right, that's uh, There's just a natural thing there, and Diggs can do that. Adam Thielen can do that, and Diggs, uh, you know, that was a big-time play was to just get open on a slant on third and one. Right, this was your big players at your biggest time because they hand it off to Delvin Cook. He takes it to the other side of the field, and Delvin Cook runs into Marshawn Lattimore at the end of an 11-yard gain, and Lattimore is their shutdown corner. He has to leave the field. Patrick Robinson, who hadn't played all game, he comes in, and he's pressing against Adam Thielen right there. And all game long, Sage, it was two deep safeties, and it was the Saints saying, we are not going to let you throw those deep balls because those are the thing that killed so many teams back in October. And we saw at the Denver game when Denver blew the 20-point lead. How did they do it? Well, they were able to hit shots down the field. And the Vikings did a great job of being patient in this game and Cousins had to do some straight drop backing where he's not always the best and and make throws on third down that he doesn't always make but he did it yesterday but it felt perfectly timed by Kevin Stefanski to say we just got an 11 yard run they just brought in somebody who is a backup and who hasn't played all day let's get this shot down the field let's run our play action there and then as you mentioned the throw and the catch I still can't figure out from watching it how Adam Thielen makes the catch because he must have lost the ball. There's no way that he could have his eyes on the ball as it's dropping in. So he basically had to just move his hands to time it out based on what he had seen from looking back, which is just outrageous hand-eye coordination. But I thought, Sage, perfect play at the perfect time. Perfect play, perfect time. And you know, after that completion to... Uh, Stefan Diggs on, on that nice 11-yard run. Now, what happened was uh, the Saints brought some sort of corner blitz or a free safety blitz from the weak side, and usually the defensive line uh, for the Saints has to uh, sort of move in the opposite direction a- a- as that corner blitz, and somebody didn't do that. I think it was the defensive end, or maybe it was the three technique, got out of his gap, and that ball stayed strong side uh, on that inside zone, ends up getting 11 yards, and then, yeah, for the injury to happen, and then for the comeback and take that shot, you're going to get probably man-to-man coverage, and and that's you know smart thinking by uh, uh, by Kevin Stefanski. You know you, you got to think that the Saints are going okay. We're not going to let these guys just run the ball on us. I'm sure they went back and they watched that Dallas Cowboys film and how at the end of that football game the Vikings ran the ball ten times in a yep. row for that game-winning drive. All right, we're going to make Kirk Cousins beat you. Uh, beat them, not uh, not uh, Dalvin Cook, and so they go with the play action. Hadn't hit a really deep one. Really, all game, and and they get the perfect coverage. They get that cover one. They get the backup corner. He undercuts it, uh, and and I said uh, 
uh, uh, Adam Thielen runs that great, has a little bit, little, little move at the top, just a little shake, gets him to undercut it, and boom, high angle corner. And and uh, yeah, I'd like to know what uh, what what his thoughts are if he could if he did see that ball. Sometimes they say if you get sort of the ball lost in the lights, they say catch the lights. Is what they sometimes or, or catch the shadow sometimes, you know. And and an unbelievable unbelievable catch from the look over his shoulder, and they make make that catch, get him on the one yard line. So at that point, you're thinking, okay, they're going to stuff it in here yeah. with one of these runs, and sure enough, they go 0 for 1 on the first one, lose about 3 or 4 yards on the second one, which sets up that third down. Yeah, if there was a questionable call, it was to pitch outside when the Saints had done a really good job on the pitches, even going back to the play that was almost a fumble by Delvin Cook and his knee was down, but that was another one of those pitches that the Saints seemed to be prepared for, so I was well, surprised well, I will, by that call. I will say this, so uh, on the goal line, you know, there's various types of goal line defenses out there. Some teams play sort of a five-man front, some teams sort of have a 6-2 front, and there's various types of five-man fronts and six-twos within that. And what the Saints had done a couple times earlier in that ball game, and they did it on that play as well, is when they're in that six-two front, they really squeeze the D lineman down, and w- which would tell you you have to sort of toss the ball around those types of guys. You're not going to be able to just run up the middle mm-hmm. unless you have a guy can just jump over, over the top like the old Walter Payton, you know, so style. So that's the reason they were tossing the ball in that situation is because the type of goal line defense that the Saints are in would think it's almost going to be impossible to run the ball up the middle. Yeah, I guess I was thinking at that point, because I'm always trying to, in the press box, predict what's going to come next. I kind of look at, all right, how are they aligned and, and what might they do here and what have they done in the past? And I thought that play in Los Angeles where they fake pitch to Delvin and found uh, Irv Smith in the back of the end zone, I thought, okay, maybe they try that again. So they lose the yardage. And then here is the play from the AFC Championship last year. Gronkowski against a cornerback. This is where everyone fell in love with Tony Romo. And then you came on the radio and said, everyone would have known that that you throw that ball. So I remember the things you say, Sage. So I tweeted, as soon as I saw the alignment and the matchup, I tweeted, throw to Rudolph. And then the next play is throw to Rudolph. Troy Aikman on the broadcast circles Kyle Rudolph. That's right. Everybody must have known at that point that's what they're going to do. And I had a conversation with Kyle maybe his last year's camp or two years ago camp, about lining him up as a wide receiver. And if he's out there with a corner, it's a, it's a big mismatch. If he's out there with a linebacker, that means that linebacker's not in the box. And it tells you about coverages and you can create mismatches. And they had the absolute perfect time to do it at that point. And we convinced him. As you heard that clip, that was Sam Bradford in the intro. Sam Bradford talking about Kirk needing to throw to Kyle Rudolph, and we convinced him to throw to Kyle Rudolph. And you and I have been trying for a year to throw to him. He will catch it, and Kirk picked the perfect time to do it, Sage. Well, the Saints brought an all-out blitz on that play, and so that's really all you have. He did, if he didn't want to throw it to Kyle, let's just say he didn't like that matchup for some reason. It wasn't Kyle Rudolph. It was another tight end or receiver out there, and he didn't want to throw a fade route, let's just say, to Stephon Diggs in that situation. He did have Adam Thielen on the right-hand side run a stick route, which is about a four-yard out route. Now, in cover zero, which is the defense they got, 
everyone's going to play inside leverage. So, yeah, the fades are good, and those quick out routes are good as well. See, he might have had Thielen as well if he wanted to go to the right-hand side. Stefanski gave him a couple options on that play. But, obviously, having Kyle Rudolph in that situation, a guy who's, you know, I don't know if he's 6'5", he's, he might be 6'6", six, six, uh, an excellent high school basketball player. And he's been making catches like that, not just this year, but really his whole career uh, as a Viking. I, Kyle's not one of the best tight ends in the NFL anymore as far as a, you know, a uh, uh, a hundred yard field, but inside the 10, I think he's maybe as good as there is in this league. Inside the five, inside the 10, he is such a tremendous red zone threat. And that's the reason, uh, you know, he was in that's, that's the reason they have him instead of Irv Smith in that spot on that play is because he doesn't always get separation from the DB. But he doesn't need it. His arms get separation, his height gets the separation, and he goes up and you know nine times out of the ten he makes that contested catch if you put the ball uh, you know somewhere on the money. And he has one drop in the last two years, and I and I'm sure you noticed this that one thing I thought was impressive there from Cousins showing his poise at the end of the game, which has not always or anywhere close been the case with Kirk Cousins, and that's why it was so impressive what he was able to do because it, it's been. Time after time where, yeah, well, he had the ball against the Los Angeles Rams and fumbled it away at the end. He had the ball at the end against Seattle and didn't make it happen there. And now he has the ball at the end and he goes down and does it. But he kind of fumbled the snap a little bit. Yep. Like it just it wasn't perfect there and he got it in his hand and he got it out right before the rush got there. And if there was any time for him to go like full Kirk and do something where everyone goes, no, how did that happen? It would have been fumbling the snap right there and not getting the touchdown. But he showed a remarkable amount of poise at the end of that game in overtime. He was. And, yeah, the snap wasn't perfect. He didn't catch it clean, and sometimes that just happens. And the hard part is that you know you have to get the rid of the ball immediately. And, and if he would have held on the ball an extra half a second, he's getting hit as he's throwing it, uh, and it would have been an incomplete pass or some sort of fumble or something. So uh, he got that ball out perfectly, and, and he probably could have thrown it another foot or so higher because Rudy has such a great catch radius, but it was a good throw. And, and uh, you know, obviously Rudy did not push off at all. That did not happen. It was a uh, an absolutely perfectly no pass interference type of fade catch, and um, of course the Vikings win, and and off we go. It was really cool in the social media seeing the various people I know, uh, uh, Ben Lieber and some others who are right there in that end zone, uh, and there are some great shots in social media of that catch uh, of that touchdown catch, and uh, and obviously the celebration afterwards. Well, let's talk about the interference thing because I have kind of a theory here, and this is an offshoot of I forget which former NFL coach said that you need to be able to go into a bar and ask people, was it a catch or was it pass interference? And if they all agree, then you overturn it. And if they don't, then you don't. And when I see people yelling at each other, former refs yelling at each other, and you see coaches and analysts and everybody else on Twitter or on TV saying, it was interference, it wasn't interference, he pushed off, he didn't push off, it was hand fighting, that to me, says this is the very definition of you can't overturn. You have <laughs> yeah. to, everyone has to agree. Everyone on this earth agrees that Nikel Roby Coleman last year interfered with their receiver, the Saints receiver, that he smashed into him way before the ball got there. Everyone in the entire world would have said, okay, yeah, you can't do that. But on this play, if there's going to be that much debate about it, you have to go with what's on the field. And what's funny about that, Sage, is in my mind, when it happened, 
I was like, okay, game over. Let's. Oh yeah, well they're reviewing it automatically, but there's nothing to review because I didn't think there was anything to review. I, I thought it was just two guys going at it, and if it's a five foot ten receiver instead of a six foot six tight end, we are not talking about the slightest extension of the arm. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, you know, it, it, in my opinion, it probably was a little pass interference. But be honest with you, who cares? Who cares? The game's over. The Vikings won. It doesn't really matter at this point, right? And so I think Rudy probably didn't even need it. You know, I said he's so good at catching the ball without having to get that separation of just going up and just being taller and and having that high catch radius. I think he probably still catches the ball without that slight push off. But um, you know, maybe seven out of ten people say it was a push off, and three out of ten say it wasn't. Again, at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. It was yeah. a touchdown. They called it a touchdown. They were not going to overturn it. This wasn't nearly as egregious as the play with the Rams last year. Uh, it wasn't one-tenth as egregious as the play uh, was the 49ers Seahawks from uh, just a week ago uh, where it was the middle linebacker who was basically oh, molesting yes. the yeah. wide receiver in the end zone. They didn't call that one, and they didn't overturn that one. So I knew even though they were going to look at it, there was absolutely no chance they were going to overturn that play. Okay, let's talk about what this means for Kirk Cousins to get the monkey off his back, to have that moment in the locker room where he can scream you like that and have the guys go crazy. Uh, inside of the locker room, inside Inside of the front office, inside, I'm sure, of the coach's room, they are human. They think a lot of the things we do. And that's one of the things that I've always noticed from being in this business. When you talk to people, especially off the record, a lot of times they're like, yeah, well, yeah, we have to, we don't like that you're out there saying it in public about our team, but you kind of got a point. And they all know that Cousins has not come through since he's been here. They all know that against winning teams, it's been much more like it was in Green Bay both times this year than like it was in New Orleans. But if we're talking about their chances to go to San Francisco and win, their chances to go to Green Bay and win, potentially for a chance, assuming that, you know, Green Bay is the team that they face, for potentially a chance to go to the Super Bowl, I think the confidence level of everyone around Kirk Cousins is now different because of what happened in that overtime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you go back to the beginning of the season and we would talk about, you know, at some point this year, Kirk Cousins is going to have to have a game where they're behind by 10 points in the fourth quarter, he brings them back, or there's a game-winning drive versus a, a playoff-caliber football team, and, and he comes through with a couple clutch throws. He was going to need a couple clutch moments during the year. and He really didn't have too many. Uh, he had some games. You know, we thought that Cowboys game was a big game, but really at the end of the day, it was more because of the running game and the defense that won that football game and, and less on Cousins' arm. You know, We had the Kansas City game where he had a chance at the end uh, to come through and win it and they didn't and there's a couple others obviously along the line and I think I was thinking you know week 10 week 12 at some point he's going to have to make that play or, or have that drive or have that game or fourth quarter where he brought this team back and it never really happened well it happened yesterday and that was the moment that this team needed that this that is the moment that this franchise needed that this quarterback needed to say okay this is the guy that can bring it when it really matters in overtime in the Superdome I mean, there's really almost no tougher, uh, sort of more clutch instance than than that exact place and that exact time and that exact game is playing the Saints in the Superdome in overtime. Uh, you get the ball first, and he goes down, and he makes those three or four clutch throws as we were talking about, and obviously the the great throw, the, the, the third down throw, rather than run the ball, they put it in the quarterback's hands, he comes through. All right, they get that 
They get the run out to near midfield with Alvin Cook. You know the other team's going to play you know, seven or eight guys in the box and try to stop that run. He gets man coverage. He makes the play. At the end of the game, they go all a blitz. You can't run against that. He makes the play. So, uh, you know, hats off to, to Kirk Cousins and this entire football team. But I think everybody, even if you don't like Kirk Cousins, uh, which I don't know why you wouldn't like him, but if somebody that didn't like him, you got to be happy for him in this instance because, yeah, he has had that monkey on this back. And he talks about that. doesn't bother him. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's got to be a struggle to not, not be clutch in a lot of football games over the course of your mm-hmm. career and then to finally come through in the biggest of big moments and be absolutely clutch and be absolutely perfect. Uh, that, was, uh, uh, that, that, that was great to watch. And, of course, so, so much fun to see that celebration in the locker room. And for him to say that was absolutely fantastic. Yep. And we might ultimately end up looking at it, depending on how this plays out, as when he finally became the, the true leader of the team. Because we know this, that there's a lot of things you can say. You could be a great guy. You could try to pump everybody up and be, or you could try to be their friend, or you could try to hold them accountable, or whatever it's going to be. But what athletes respect the most is just success, the people who win. And the reason that the, a lot of these same players love Teddy Bridgewater is that he won. And with Kirk Cousins, they hadn't seen it yet. And that's what you need to see to have the true respect is, does the, does the guy who's paid the most money to come through come through? And he did that yesterday in the moment that was the biggest to beat Drew Brees. So let's take a break, Sage. And when we come back, I want you to explain how the Vikings slowed down Drew Brees like that when almost nobody has made life that difficult for Drew Brees in the Superdome in a very, very long time. Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback and our journeyman correspondent, Sage Rosenfels, talking about the Vikings' 26-20 win over New Orleans yesterday. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Score North download time. Jonathan here. Kyle Rudolph's game-winning touchdown catch yesterday in New Orleans was set up by a monster catch by Adam Thielen. Here's what it sounded like from New Orleans radio perspective. Cousins under center. Two tight ends left. Single receiver to either side. Fakes the handoff. Looks to throw deep down the right side. Caught Adam Thielen to the two-yard line. They go, they go right after Patrick Robinson, and no safety help is to be found there. You know it's my favorite, Jonathan. Uh, you yeah. know I love opposing teams' radio broadcasts when things go wrong. Do you want the, uh, the touchdown catch? Here you go. Third and goal. Ball on the four-yard line. Cousins in the gun. Three by one to his right. Saints showing pressure. They bring pressure. Lob it to the back of the end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown. Kyle Rudolph. That's great. <laughs> Fantastic. One-on-one in the back corner of the end zone, Kyle Rudolph so and DJ Williams. And the Minnesota Vikings come to New Orleans and beat the Saints. So much dejection. It's glorious. One of my favorite things about having NFL Game Pass is being able to listen to the opposing radio call and something bad happens uh, for the their sadness. team. It's great. The sadness. That's been your score North download now back to Purple Daily. And he caught it. And that's the game. <laughs> Touchdown. Why are we even no. here? I'm never coming back to this place. <laughs> How did he even catch it? He probably pushed off. 
that, that, that's great. Uh, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here. Um, Purple Daily breaking down yesterday's huge win for the Vikings. Now they will go on Saturday to San Francisco. And flights to San Francisco are so annoyingly expensive or already bought up that I'm flying to Sacramento and then driving to Santa Clara. So that'll be fun. I had a great trip back, though. Actually, things worked out for me on the travel this time, which means the next time is going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Sage, let's talk about what Mike Zimmer was able to do yesterday. There aren't too many times in my life that I've seen Drew Brees look shook back there. And yesterday was one of them. And to show you how excellent he is at football, he almost won. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. really, truly incredible. that I mean, they were right there, and if they win the coin toss, maybe they win. I don't know. But what Zimmer did by mm-hmm. moving the defensive ends in over the guards and to slow down Michael Thomas and to stop the running game with Kamara and Latavius Murray, it was, I think, Sage, the best defensive showing by Mike Zimmer, considering the venue, considering the opposition, just outstanding in the face of a lot of pressure and conversation about his job. Do you remember a year ago? I guess it would have been about 13 months ago. It's when the Vikings moved on from John D. Filippo, and they hired Kevin Stefanski, brought him up from quarterback's coach. And Kevin, at his press conferences, used this phrase, complimentary football. He says, we have to play complimentary football uh, on offense. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean throwing the ball 45, 50 times a game? No, it meant you know run the ball, uh, keep the ball, you know help out our defense. So like the style that they were going to have to play to win. And sometimes the best defense is a great offense. And the Vikings yesterday were excellent offense. They were really good on third down. The time possession was basically 37 minutes. Uh, to twenty uh, uh, to, to twenty seven minutes if you include the overtime, so the Vikings had about nine, almost ten minutes of more possession. So that obviously helped out the defense. Now, if you look at the New Orleans Saints, they obviously have Michael Thomas, who's fantastic wide receiver, probably the best guy in the game, about one hundred fifty catches, one hundred fifty five catches, or whatever it was this year. But they didn't have a great number two player, and the Vikings played a lot of quarters coverage, so they had some safety uh, help over the top. And when Michael Thomas went to the slot, they played, they had the safety right over top of like an Anthony Barr. So there were completions there, but there were a lot of short completions. And so, yeah, Michael Thomas got his seven catches, but they're only for 70 yards. They obviously shut down Kamara really well in the running game, and they just controlled the clock offensively to keep the ball away uh, from Drew Brees and that high-powered offense. So really the total game plan was fantastic from offense and defense to play that complimentary football uh, to keep New Orleans uh, out of the end zone all that much. And uh, But obviously the defense played really, really well, you know, shutting those guys down, really keeping them from only one big play, the biggest play of the game really for uh, for the Saints. The two biggest ones were, were that run by uh, uh, Taysom Hill and obviously the long pass, the 50-yarder, uh, to, to the really it was the kickoff punt returner uh, for the Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really the only big play they had in the ballgame. And, of course, the Vikings, I'm sure, weren't expecting Taysom Hill to throw it 55 y- 50 <laughs> yards down the field. I know. And, boy, Twitter was on fire yesterday because when the throw happened, I just tweeted an instant reaction of, wow, what a throw. 
And then, of course, 30 people come in with, well, you had the receiver had to slow down. Like, okay, you throw it 65 yards or whatever, right? Like, maybe if you were here and you saw how far that ball traveled, then uh, you would say it's okay if you had to slow down a little for him to drop it right into the breadbasket. Well, not only that is, uh, you know, also after you've been on special teams, after you've been yes. playing wide receiver, yeah. after you've been making tackles, after you've been had a couple of runs. I mean, uh, what that kid is doing is absolutely incredible. I don't know how long his career is going to be. Uh, but uh, he is obviously adding a ton of value to that football team. And uh, I-, I was sort of thinking after that game, you know, is there a future in this league where, you know, we have the Breezes and the Rogerses and the Tom Brady's and, you know, these great throwers? Is there a future where a team goes, you know what, it's so hard to get a quarterback, but we can find these guys like a Taysom Hill who are really just runners. And, you know, of course, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have more than one as you go into a season. So you're going to have to have like three of those guys because they're just going to get beat up. But is there a way? Because when he did run the football yesterday, he was extremely effective. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, Taysom Hill is Josh Allen, right? I mean, Josh Allen is very inaccurate, but he can certainly run the ball and he can do enough to be, you know, in the game a lot and win sometimes. But, you know, you saw eventually in that Texans game what the problems were with his accuracy and not being able to finish off that game. But I think it's the same kind of thing where if you have an athlete and you can put him in there when he can actually be a threat to throw the ball, that's really, really tough. And then you mix that with breeze and and what he can do they have such a good offense sage and to go there and only allow 20 points and most of it coming from their gadget player who's basically cordell stewart what he used to do for the pittsburgh steelers and be in that slash role slowing down thomas seven catches 70 yards i mentioned this on purple uh, daily podcast version from last night but eric hendricks asked me in the locker room after the game how many yards did thomas get and i said seven catches for 70 and he just couldn't have looked more happy like they did their job slowing down one of the best players in the nfl and you make a great point that they love that little five yard out to michael thomas he catches it and then runs for five more yards and gets a first down they didn't let him do that sendejo let him get a catch but he tackled him anthony barr let him get a catch but he tackled him and then xavier rhodes we talk about mike zimmer sort of getting some redemption here for a season where his defense struggled. But Xavier Rhodes makes the the, the bad play on the double move where Hill drops in the long throw, but then comes back on a third down and jumps in front of Michael Thomas. and oh, makes big a, time. It makes a huge play there. And it, it was a, a redemption game for Rhodes and maybe the best game he's played in a very long time. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to give you know, hats off to Xavier Rhodes. Who, you know, he made that hit on Alvin Kamara. I'm not sure. Was that the second quarter? Maybe I'm not sure when that when that uh, aspect of the game was. But he makes this big hit on the sidelines and immediately grabs his shoulder and uh, obviously did something. And you could almost every time the camera went to him during the game, he was grabbing his shoulder in one, in, in one sense or another. But the play after that play, Breeze attacked uh, Xavier Rhodes and he broke broke it up. And that was a big third down stop in the ball game. And he was really really good also uh, making tackles and in the running game. You know, uh, Alvin Kamara, by the way, eight catches for 34 yards. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. You know, they, they do a lot of stuff where he comes out of the backfield and he has those little check downs. Again, on a guy like Anthony Barr, props off to him. 
because he was having to cover uh, 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 Michael Thomas also in that slot. You know, when you when you play quarters, your linebacker a lot of times is walked out on a wide receiver. That's one of the sort of the weaknesses you know of that coverage. And and he was maybe uh, allowing the completion, but he was making the tackle after. Well, same thing with when Alvin Kamara's out there. Uh, he was catching the ball, but he wasn't getting big runs after the catch. The Vikings defense did a great job in zone coverage of keeping the ball in front of them uh, and making those tackles and limiting to him. Li- limiting him to only 4.3 yards per catch. And even though it was concerning when Mackenzie Alexander and uh, Mike Hughes went down, the fact that Eric Hendricks was healthy was the biggest one because Hen- Hendricks is the quarterback of the defense. He is the guy where it all starts with this year and deserving of being first team all pro. If he had had to sit out because of the quad injury, I'm not sure that they win that game. And being able to stop the run game too, and Rose is a part of that because he is such a good tackler. He had one of those games where you have to say major credit to him, and maybe it helped a lot to have that Week 17 off. I thought that for a couple of different players, Thielen, Delvin Cook, but also Xavier Rhodes, to get just maybe a little bit healthier coming back for this game and having to play a lot and doing a really good job. And Sage... By the way, we're, we're talking about you know going into the playoffs in the last couple of weeks of the year, and it looked like the Vikings were not going to get a bye. And that, yeah. you know, we're talking about yeah, playing on the road, not having the bye. They sort of had a bye in a lot of ways. Yes. Not everybody, but you know at least a lot almost of the injured everyone. guys didn't play. But almost all the starters were, were out. And you know you, you right off the bat, I think uh, uh, Troy Aikman said it. You know Dalvin Cook, you could see the fresh legs oh, right yes. off the bat. I mean yep. he always looks fast, but he almost looked like he had a little bit of a little bit of extra, uh, you know, uh, a pop in his step. And yep. and you know that was huge. And if you want to talk about the running game, by the way, and you know this is a throwing league. Three of the top three, uh, four teams left in the NFC. Three of them uh, were in the top four in the NFL in rushing this year. Well, All right? the yeah. only other one is the Dallas Cowboys, and they just fired their head coach. Okay, so uh, it shows the value of running the football. The Vikings ten of eighteen on third down. The Saints four of eleven. When you're in third and shorts, like just like the Stephon Diggs catch on third and one at the end of the, in, in the overtime. But they ran the ball forty times in this game, not for two hundred fifty yards, only for one hundred thirty six yards. But they were quality carries. There were threes and fours and fives and threes, and they were just consistently getting some nice push, which gave Kirk Cousins a chance to not have to be third and super long. And when the Vikings had third and really long, they hand the ball off to Amir Abdul get your nine yards, punt, move on, and play play defense and and, uh, and try to get the ball back with good field position and sort of play that game. So uh, running the football, absolutely huge this year in the NFC playoffs. Well, the, the way that I look at the running game now is a lot of the players at the position, you have super good guys with the ball in their hands. And if they can do multiple things, so if you can hand it off to them and they can get you seven yards and set you up in second and three, you're golden. If you can check down and they get 11 yards like Delvin Cook, or if you could throw a swing pass and they get 15-20, then you are in great shape. That They utilize everything that Delvin Cook can do well as the most explosive player on the field. And then when they're ahead in a game and, and they need him to get yards, they're just slamming down the other team's throat, and they're running clock, which Mike Zimmer loves to do. And it's a little bit of why 
you get frustrated sometimes by box score stats. Like this guy has this many yards passing and, and things like that that matter in fantasy or this many touchdown passes or, or not. When every game is an individual, you have to do exactly what you're supposed to do to win that game. And yesterday, some of those even negative runs are where the Saints stuffed them. It was winding a bunch of clock and you're still getting closer to winning rather than farther away um, that you might be if you were incompleting passes. So having extra weapons on your offense is important. But then this offense in particular, everything starts with Delvin Cook. And that that really showed, Sage. And when they have the conversations, and we will in the offseason, but when we have the conversations about Delvin Cook and extensions and things like that, I mean, if you're his people, you're going to look at that game and say, yeah, Kirk led the game-winning drive. But Delvin was a monster and carried such a huge load in this game. So having a running back with his ability as we go forward here deeper in the playoffs is is, is a massive asset. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And not only, uh, obviously, he's an excellent runner, but he was involved in the passing game as well. They threw that nice little swing screen to him where Brad Berry's out in front. That was a beautiful play design. I think they brought in either Irv Smith or Kyle Rudolph into the backfield, and the running back sort of split and went opposite directions. Uh, then they were lined up, which sometimes confuses the linebackers if they're in man-to-man coverage or even sort of run into each other if they're in man coverage. And you had Brad Berry out front. It's almost like a, a toss sweep, and, and uh, you know that was a beautifully executed play play and and that was that was a nice play uh in in this ball game but you know Dalvin Cook is so explosive you just don't have running backs that are Porsches like that Mm -hmm. right you have running backs that are Jeeps you know they're Jeep Wranglers they're (laughs) Latavius Murray's you know there's a lot more of those guys out there than guys that can be powerful because he's also powerful and he finishes a lot of runs uh going forward and he's hard to take down with just an arm tackle but guys who are like that usually don't have that. I don't know what he ran at the combine, if it was a 4-3 something, but he, 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 he plays that fast. He's got yeah, extremely quick feet as well, uh, and his value is obviously uh, you know huge for this offense. And, and you saw it at the end of the season when he wasn't playing, uh, that it uh, obviously hugely affected uh, you know, this offense in the, in the production. But you know if you go back in the history of Gary Kubiak, and Mike Shanahan, and all those years, you go back to those Denver Bronco days, and I'm not saying they shouldn't play Dalvin Cook because I think he's a fantastic player, but they refused to pay big money yeah. for their running backs. It was always, you know, who's this guy? Oh, Mike Anderson. He ran for 1,200 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, He was like in the military two years ago or something. <laughs> who's this guy? You know, he, Oh, he'll run for 1,300 yards. Who's this guy? Orlandis Gary. Oh, he runs for 1,100, 1,200 yards. The, the, the system is so consistent. If you find a good, disciplined runner, you can have a quality running back, but Dalvin Cook isn't a quality running back. He is a great running back, and, uh, and obviously he was great yesterday. All right, Sage, I want you to give the the last word on this game, and then I want to ask you a couple other things that happened on Saturday and Sunday, and then when you and I get back together on Wednesday, we can really start diving into it's a Kubiak versus a Shanahan. It's your dream. It's the <laughs> Rosenfels Bowl here, right? I mean, you worked with Kyle, right? And you had Gary as the head coach. Coach, it's like my gosh, did they lay it out perfectly for our show? Um, well, and then you know, then the Matt Lafleur is one of the other guys. Yeah, uh, I know. who was our quality control in Houston, who's the Green Bay Packers. That's right, coach, so unbelievable. The the, yeah. the Rosen the Rosen Bowl. Um, <laughs> uh, so, what, what's the final word on this? I mean, I think it is a win that has no yeah buts that that they deserve to win. They were the better team. 
and it's a harder place to play against a team that had been better in the regular season versus a legendary quarterback. They earned every single inch of that win yesterday. Well, if you look, I went back and watched that game this morning. By the way, you came out of the commercial break talking about Game Pass. If you love the NFL, or you just like the NFL, and you like watching the Vikings, if you don't spend 100 bucks, I think it's 100 bucks, right, for the year to get Game yeah. Pass to where the next day you can go, uh, I'm not sure if it's the next day or a couple hours after the game, you can go back and watch the entire game in about 45 minutes. And yep. if you wait a couple of days, you can actually watch like the all 22, the coaches version. And then also the, the added details, as you said, of the listen to the, uh, the actual radio play calls from both teams. I mean, it's, if you love the NFL, it's, it's well worth, uh, you know, the hundred dollars to get that NFL game pass. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So, um, well, what, what, what's the last one? The Vikings, I think, looking back, and I watched it this morning, rewatched it this morning, they made really two mistakes in the whole game. It was the Adam Thielen at the beginning of the ball game, which ended up being just a field goal, so yep. nice job by the defense overcoming that. And then the kickoff return right at the end of the first half. You're like, oh, man, we just went down. We scored a touchdown. Now we're going to give up a cheap three points, but they missed the field goal. So those are really the only two major mistakes that I saw you know, in this ball game where the Saints made more mistakes. They made more crucial mistakes at the crucial times, and the Vikings made the crucial clutch plays at the clutch times. And I said, I'm you know, really, really happy for Kirk Cousins and, and the guy who sort of hasn't been clutch in the past. And he can act like it doesn't uh, affect him. But you, we all know that uh, he, he really wanted to come through. He needed to come through. And he absolutely did yesterday. And we go back to the beginning of the season. You and I were in Chicago together. First third down or first drive of the game. Kirk admits Adam Th- misses Adam Thielen on, this, on that exact same throw. Mm-hmm. Thielen has, has a step. And you overthrow, he lays out, overthrows it by about a yard and incomplete. And as the season go- goes on and, and Thielen's out for a big part of the year, uh, right there in the middle, and he comes back and this team gets fully healthy, this is a dangerous football team. They play high-quality, complementary football. They can run the ball. They have weapons on the outside. They've got two good tight ends. And when their defense is on, man, their play, they can play extremely, extremely well to shut down that New Orleans Saints offense was mightily impressive. So should be a heck of a game next Saturday in Santa Clara. Yeah, the conversation between reporters at dinner after the game was, how many more flights will we have to book? You know, I mean, <laughs> hopefully a couple more after the way that they they played. I mean, it could be a couple more. So uh, let's before we wrap up here, take the next few minutes and talk about a couple of things from the games over the weekend and have Jonathan kick up some NFL films music because we can, can. I say something really quick. Yes. Speaking of these other games this weekend, just probably four games. Unbelievable. Amazing. Oh, I know. So really dramatic. good. If you don't even like the NFL and like college football, but if you watch the games this weekend, unbelievable but if you watch that buffalo houston game and you watch those two very talented very athletic quarterbacks and you watch their offenses compared to the vikings offense yesterday it's like they're different sports (laughs) i mean there was no running game there was no play action there was quarterback and shotgun those guys were just trying to make plays josh allen was just throwing the ball everywhere uh, as was deshaun watson i would as a quarterback i would much rather play in this viking system than play in those systems in Buffalo and Houston. I think the offensive coordinator of Buffalo, who does a good job in general, but if you have Josh Allen throw 46 passes, 
in a game where you score 19 points, like some, something went wrong. Like in a close game that you were ahead and your quarterback who's not good at throwing the ball ends up with 46 passes, you did something wrong. But Deshaun Watson against Patrick Mahomes, could we have drawn it up any better for a matchup in the next round of the playoffs, Sage? I mean, it's just, it's just perfect. It's the two guys that I think I get the most pure entertainment value out of watching aside from Lamar Jackson in the NFL. Yeah, they're sort of both human highlight reels. You know, they just sort of make plays. And the, and the biggest play in that Houston game was literally Deshaun Watson just making a play. Yep. I mean, he was he was uh, he was hot uh, in a sense where they had brought a couple guys off the slot and and uh, they were not blocked and he didn't throw the ball away. He didn't play as hot. He they, he should have been tackled, but he spun out of it and then then went and made a play. And and uh, he's obviously a great playmaker, but a very very accurate thrower. Uh, and uh, and obviously Mahomes is, is he's a big time you know playmaker and, and thrower as well. So that should be a really really fun game to watch. Two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. So who is uh, Tom Brady playing quarterback for next year? That's a good question. I got a, an email from Greg Bedard this morning. He's a, a Boston, longtime Boston sports writer. He wrote for Sports Illustrated for a while, and he was asking me, you know, how hard would it be for Tom Brady to leave that offense that he's been in for twenty years and go mm-hmm. to say Oakland? And play for you know a John Gruden or I guess it's is it is it officially Las Vegas now? Did we yeah, say like the Las Vegas yeah. Raiders, right? I'm, I'm um, not there yet. I yeah, can't what, do I, it. it's still the San Diego Chargers yep, to me. So absolutely. you know whatever. But uh, you know to play for John Gruden in like a traditional how hard hard how, how hard you know would that be? And you know obviously there's that language barrier, but it's obviously possible. We saw Peyton Manning do it. Uh, we saw him go to another team and throw 55 mm-hmm. touchdown passes for Gary Kubiak, but that was not the Gary Kubiak offense. I mean, that was in shotgun, and there was some play action, but it was that sort of morphed into Peyton Manning's offense in Indianapolis, and that's because Kubiak has no ego to say, "Oh, you have to do it my way." Mm-hmm. It's my no, no. This is what's the offense that's best for the quarterback. So I imagine if somehow Tom Brady went somewhere else, which I don't think is going to happen, uh, that they would morph that offense to really whatever you know. Tom Brady wanted, but there would obviously be a sort of language barrier initially off the bat. So my guess is Tom Brady either plays for the Patriots next year or he retires. All right. Final game, Seattle-Philadelphia. I was working, and then I look up at the TV and I see our guy, Josh McCown, one of the great journeyman quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League in the game. And I had no idea what happened. Wearing Jordans, by the way. He was wearing (laughs) Jordans in the game. Hey, because he's a baller. He is a baller. Uh, And I'm like, Josh, does everyone realize in this press box that Josh McCown is on the TV playing the quarterback right now? And I'll tell you what, I I only could watch snippets of it, and then I saw more this morning on the flight with had the TV and you know was watching through the highlights and things. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm glad he got to play in a playoff game, and I thought Josh McCown showed a hell of a lot of heart in that game. To be in it, it's he's forty years old. He wasn't brought here to play. He was brought here to help and be the scout team and to help Carson Wentz and everything else, and just maybe come in in a pinch, not play in a playoff game. And he gave it absolutely everything that Josh McCown has. And then him breaking down at the end of the game is like, man, journeyman quarterbacks, unbelievable. Yeah, he was officially retired. He coached high school football on Friday nights. He went back home, I think, in Charlotte. Uh, and coached his son's high school football team 
on Friday nights during the season. They'd fly back on Saturday or fly to wherever the game was. And yeah, he was basically a, a coach as a, a you know a, being a backup quarterback. But he really he was a coach during the, the entire year. And went out yesterday, gave it everything he had left on the field. He was injured. He was playing hurt. He battled. Uh, you know, it was for him to be forty years old. First time he's ever played in a playoff game uh, uh, yesterday. So uh, that was that was so neat to watch for him. And, and obviously a guy who's put his sort of heart and soul into the game, and, and, it, and it wasn't enough. And my guess is, you know, that will be it for him. And, and uh, then there's all the questions, of course, of Carson Wentz. And yeah. Yeah, that's injury prone. And, and uh, you know, people were all over Twitter yesterday also, and Dan Orlovsky was defending him and, and all those things. Is like, listen, you know, uh, uh, Kirk Cousins yesterday, he had a screen in overtime, wasn't there. He threw it away. Yep. He didn't try to make a play and run for an extra couple yards. That's what Carson Wentz did, and he's going to have to change that style. It's not a race. It's not a 100-meter race. It is a marathon when you're a quarterback of the season, your career. And I think sometimes Carson Wentz still has that belief that he has to get this first down or has to get this extra couple yards right now. It is a marathon, and that's one of the main reasons they lost yesterday because they didn't have their star quarterback. And, and Wilson is so good at it, just sliding. He knows when he's had enough, yeah. and he just slides and says, I'll live to play another play, but the thing that can't happen is the starting quarterback getting hurt. And you're right about uh, cousins just being able to, you know, get rid of the ball before he's getting hit, or when he's sacked, he usually isn't taking super hard hits and things like that. And the durability is really important. You have to question whether Wentz is going to be like Andrew Luck in a way. I mean, Luck did the same sort of thing. Very he kind similar. of invited a lot of hits and tried to compete for every last you know yard that was out there. And I can respect that, but that also gets you hurt and ends your career. Early, so so the whole thing is, you know, are you an executor? Like, so Kirk Cousins is an executor of the offense, but when that breaks down for whatever reason, do you try to make a play, or do you try to go? You know what? Let's they beat us sort of on this play. Yep. Let's just move on. We can punt. There's always, there's more time left or whatever. Some of these some of these quarterbacks have a hard time with that because they just so badly uh, you know want to make those plays and sometimes it works out and sometimes you get hurt and you're done for the year. Well, and uh, Cousins did a good job this year, much better this year than last year of just throwing the ball away when something wasn't there. Uh, By the I way, thought. Drew Brees' first fumble of the year. Yeah. Yesterday. A team that turned the ball over eight times total and then turns it over twice yesterday yeah. at home. Uh-huh. Uh, that that, was, that's unbelievable yeah. though, for a quarterback to all the all the throws that Breeze has to not fumble. I mean, to not have some guy beat the left tackle and he mm-hmm. hits you blindside, and of course also playing with a you know sort of a broken right hand or whatever, and probably doesn't have the strongest grip. And I believe on that play, somebody ran the wrong route because he came as soon as that he was still on the ground and it was recovered. He got up and he was. You could tell talking to wide receivers, he wasn't trying to call them out, but obviously somebody ran the wrong route. So if somebody runs the right right route, uh, that probably doesn't happen. Yeah, and a great play by Daniil Hunter, as there were many, many great plays in that game. Sage, Wednesday, you and I will get back together, and we will look at Kyle Shanahan's Mm. offense. If you know anything about it, let us know on Wednesday. Know a few things, and and Robert (laughs) Sala's defense, who also was defensive. My defensive, my quality control coaches... When I was at the Houston Texans, were Matt Lafleur and Robert Sala. How about that? This is—I mean, this is amazing. This is the like—you tend to know someone somewhere all the time with every connection, but this is really the Sage Rosen Bowl. So, all right, we will talk Wednesday, <laughs> and we will have a lot to break down. Thank you, Sage, for your time, sir. 
Sounds good. Great win. All right, Zolgad in next. Continue to break down 26-20 win, and let's talk about what it means and what Mike Zimmer had to say about Kirk Cousins today and just the nature of our game. That's that's uh, that's it. We'll be right back here. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. You know, it's it's fun to be able to uh, to win and to feel like you know you're moving forward. But uh, my journey has always been one of, you know, like the book The Dream Giver. When you climb a mountain, you sit there at the top and you look around and you realize there's only more mountains to climb. Play action, Cousins, Thielen, he's got it inside the five. The ball sitting at the two. Two yards away from a win. Yeah, just uh, you know, Kirk obviously gave me a shot, and uh, it, it uh, you couldn't have been a perfect ball. Yeah, once they brought pressure, I knew the ball was coming. Cousins throws, passes, caught for the win. Kyle Rudolph and the Vikings are moving on. Kirk made an unbelievable throw and, and just gave me a chance. Um, they brought all-out pressure, and, and Kirk gave me a chance, and I, I just go up and get the rebound. Go up and get it and make a play to help our team win. You just keep chasing the next mountain, and there will always be people, you know, who are going to criticize you, and that's okay. I got three words for you. You like that? All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad here, our number two of the show. If you missed any of our number one with Sage Rosenfels, he broke down all of Kirk Cousins' throws in overtime to a ridiculous amount of detail, but always fun to listen to him um, really get into it and break it down. And uh, also last night, um, Phil Mackey and I did a reaction podcast that you can... Uh, that you can check out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I know why you're laughing because it was the second version of that podcast, but (laughs) I said most of the same things. It was a good podcast. I just hope you remembered everything you said the first time. Yes, the first time. As I tweeted, some guy who said, where's your podcast with Collar? I said, it's in the ether, but it's really good. Yeah, it was great. We had a great time, and then we had to redo it. But, you know, those things happen. It's a long day for you. Um, it was great though. I enjoyed New Orleans a lot, and to be there for that game with that type of energy—how about that stadium? I've never felt anything like it. I've never felt anything like covering a game there, yep. where all of us, all the reporters on press row, are looking at each other, going, "Is your heart rate through the roof? Like, can you? Are you having trouble catching your breath yep. in the press box?" And the answer was yes. All of us were, and people had Fitbits where they were checking their own heart rates. And it <laughs> I was, saw Cronin was yeah twenty or thirty beats per minute above. I mean that was that was the, the tension of the game. And you wrote for our website about Stefan Diggs, and I already had my meltdown on the Purple Daily Show podcast from last night. But I think if anything, with Stefan Diggs, it's another turning point in a positive direction after he has a meltdown that. Him getting upset on the sideline, and I don't advocate throwing equipment if you're like a kid, because you always get that, what do I tell my kids? Well, no. you tell them not to throw equipment because someone might get hurt. But this guy is in tell the whatever you National want. I don't Football care. League. Yeah, actually, right. I don't. You can tell them, throw your equipment, yeah, don't throw right. your equipment. But if you're going to be upset about someone in that atmosphere yep. with a game with that much on the line that Stefan Diggs was playing hot, 
and wanted them to succeed more and wanted to get in people's faces to demand that they do something different on offense to succeed because they were stalling out on offense. And then after that, they were better. Mm -hmm. And so in week four, he sends a message, and after that, they're better. And yesterday, he sends a message, and after that, they're better. And Denver at halftime. And I know this from Stephon Diggs, that this is not... People just say diva receiver, and I wish we would take that word and put it in a spaceship and shoot it to the sun because these are different human beings. You don't just put them in a box and say, like, oh, he's diva receiver. Like, Stefan Diggs wants them to win. And, and trust me, I saw Stefan Diggs after that game. He had only a couple catches. One of them was huge, but he only had a couple grabs. And his guy, Adam Thielen, those two are very, very close. Thielen had the great game. He had the great grab, the one that people will remember forever. Mm-hmm. And Diggs had the biggest smile on his face. I mean, he was through the roof thrilled at the result. This is not a guy who's like, oh, I didn't get my touches or something like that. He knows that this team is good. He wants to win. And he's the one guy who will do that. Delvin Cook's not going to go yell at people. Kirk Cousins, when he yells at people, it's hard to take seriously. And I almost would say the same thing for Adam Thielen when and he's that's done not that. In the and past. that's not Kirk. And, and, and this is not him. And Thielen doesn't come across well when he does it either. But when Diggs does it, he brings that type of intensity all the time. And I looked at it at that moment being in the building as like, Okay, something's going to change here, yep. and they're going to get going now. Not, oh man, what a baby! And I got so many tweets. Yes, just like, why, why, do, we, why do you guys do this? Why do you guys have this this double standard for players where certain guys, when they do it, are like, look how fire he is, it's great, and then other guys are, how dare you? But let's go back. Okay, when Les Frazier was coach of the Vikings, here I can't tell you how many times on this very station we would get phone calls saying. Shows no motion. He should slam his headset. Let's see him slam his headset. And it's like, that's really not him. Okay, he can try that, but he's not going to probably. And then, to take it to baseball, Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer should go over and turn the buffet table and target field over, and then you know what's going to happen. People are going to know that Joe is the guy, and he cares. And so now we got this guy who seemingly cares a lot, I guess, and he shouldn't do that. And look, the other thing, too, is if Stefan Diggs went off by himself, like let's say he tossed his helmet, right, stormed off the field, pointed at Cousins and yelled, and then went and sat alone and brooded, I'd be like, he's pretty selfish. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's emotional. He gets in people's faces. But I think, most importantly, if the offense of the Vikings 2019 season has a heartbeat, it's Stefan Diggs. I yes. think this is good for them. And, and I would I would take this as far as saying, I think it's good for Kirk. Be, because it challenges Kirk to be real. You know, a lot of times Kirk's trying to play that role, right? This challenges Kirk. I think that this actually, if I'm the Vikings, I'm thrilled by it. I think it's real. I think it works. And again, it's not selfish. Selfish is... I'm mad, I throw something, I, I go kick the kicking net, I destroy that by myself, and then I brood by myself. Selfish is also throw me the damn ball, which is not what Stefan Diggs has ever said. Throw the damn ball deep is what he wanted sure. after week four. Let's be more explosive on offense. And then they went out and Kirk Cousins was player of the month in October after that happened. And I think that throwing to a rookie in that situation that caused that, throwing to B.C. Johnson there, 
you look at it and you go, how how did they throw a pass in big situations to Alexander Hollins and B.C. Johnson? That w- If they had lost, we would have been going, oh my gosh, did they really do that? The, the Hollins I, pass did get me. And, and I like both of those guys. <laughs> it's like good stories, but not as these are the guys you're throwing to. Overtime, you nailed it. Give it to Delvin, yeah. give it to Diggs, give it to Thielen, give it to Rudolph, win the game. Don't Don't mess around with anybody else. And in any locker room that works in any situation that works. The defense has figured this out perfectly. The defense knows how to handle everybody's personality. They've been around each other forever. So yesterday, after Rhodes is really upset, he and Harrison Smith are talking that over on the sideline, and it might be loud, and it might be going after each other, but those guys are close, and they and they have been for a long time now. And I'm sure there are times where Everson Griffin is the guy who goes nuts and, and is getting everybody together. I've seen him do that before, that he is that spark plug type of guy. And he, Kendricks is the more quiet, heart and soul type of guy. You have to have this mix of personalities that work. Sure. And on the defensive side, you've had it for a long time. On the offensive side, we just haven't really seen it gel correctly, mm-hmm. especially last year. And the offensive coordinator didn't help that at all. But in this case, maybe we started to see it come together this year after Diggs decided to send a message in week four. And then here in the playoffs, when they needed it the most for somebody to be the fiery guy, you know, you have Cousins who's going to be the analytical person and he's never going to get in people's faces or whatever. It's not going to be that throw a helmet or throw a clipboard and everybody's like, oh, I can't believe we let down Kirk. The Tom Brady thing. That, yeah, that's not him. That wouldn't be authentic if he right. did it. Everyone would be like, is he really doing this right, right now? They'd laugh. But with Diggs, it's authentic. Everyone knows that he burns hot and that was. In my mind, a key moment in the game to get them back on track and to look at it in any other light as if he was throwing a temper tantrum or something like that, I think is just misunderstanding what what he does for this team, like yep. what the personality dynamic is on that offense, that he's the one who brings that spark plug to them in, in terms of his personality. And the thing to watch for with Diggs, and I don't think there's evidence he's ever done this, but if a, if a receiver gets really mad and pouts, they don't run their routes. He doesn't do that. Oh, no. He, there's he's, nothing, he's so, playing so there's, hard the whole so time. So there's nothing about his game yeah. that screams bleep it, right? No. But we've seen guys. Randy Moss would get frustrated, and guess yep. what? He would not run his complete route yep. if it didn't involve him. So for Diggs, I, I think that there there's a misunderstanding by the way he acts that it's somehow bad for, for this team, when I would say the converse is absolutely true. I think it helps them. I think it helps them. They, if he does not go off, and I don't mean just the touchdown catch, in the Denver game, if he does not get that engaged, Diggs, they don't win that game. Oh, there's no like he single handed his meltdown single handedly did something for Kirk that Kirk can't do for himself. But that's not a bad thing. But Diggs knows that he's smart. He's a really smart dude. And, and so I think this whole thing about well, Stefan needs to just put aside. No, no, he's helping your team, and you can't be the same person that told me Joe Mauer didn't have passion, and <laughs> yeah. now this guy does, and now you're saying, well, I don't like that. Well, so what do you want? I also think, too, that if you are a fan of the Vikings, that how is this guy not, like, your guy? I mean, how is he not one of your favorite players? Somebody who's yeah. always, always desperately wanting to win is the thing that we're, that we're watching for all the time. And I just don't, 
I don't like the double standard that certain players get praised for it, certain players get criticized for it. It's the same thing, and I have a great appreciation for competitors like uh, Stefan Diggs. And the other thing, too, is it's very hard to explain, and you could not have explained it to me until I sat there in that dome to understand how it feels to be there in that atmosphere. It's intimidating. I'm sure in a regular season game, it's pretty fun, but in a playoff game, it's... Next level, it's like nothing I've ever been a part of before as a reporter. I have never heard a building that loud, that raucous. The sound system is insane in that building. And also, it kind of feels like it might come down on you, which is kind of a crazy feeling as well. And you're high now, right? Yeah, way up. Way up. It didn't used to be that, that high. Yeah, But that building is as much also, Matthew, natural noise as I've ever heard. Like genuine noise. Yes. This place yep. here is loud. That place to me is a notch above this place. I think so too. Yep. And, and it's more intimidating. And this place is tough. And when it seemed that Delvin Cook had fumbled, oh. I said to myself, like, oh my gosh. And I couldn't hear myself say it. It was it was so loud I could not hear my own voice saying those words. Yep. And I said it really loud, but I couldn't hear it at all. Uh, that I, I have not recovered. My ears have not recovered from what happened yesterday. And so on both sidelines, you know, the tension is big. The situation is big. Careers are on the line here. This might be it for Breeze. This might be it for Zimmer. Like we don't we don't know, yeah. right? It, that a lot of things are going to be shaped by this game. A lot of people are saying, including even us, that maybe the strongest team in the NFC was the Saints overall. And if if you fall apart and you're the Saints, you're really upset too. And they're yelling at each other on the sideline mm-hmm. because things are going wrong. Because that's what it's like to be inside that building. So that's just, I'm glad you wrote about it because I could not stand seeing those comments yesterday. Well, people were think, doubling down too. I was amazed. It's foolish. It's like, foolish. It's ignorant to me. It's just, you don't, you must not understand how sports work. I, I really think it's it's that bad of a take. You must not understand the people on this team, how this sport works, yeah. how competitive sport and works. Dix is not he's not a typical guy. He's not your typical. This is not a. I don't get the ball, so I'm mad and I'm going to pout. Right. It's not him. Yeah, that's not that's not what was going on there. And uh, they ended up getting out of their quarterback one of the great moments in Vikings quarterbacking history too. Um, so let's talk about that today. <laughs> Mike Zimmer. Yeah, it's hard to believe. And you just you just have to appreciate how things can change in a day, uh, because it was only a couple of weeks ago where Mike Zimmer was saying, "Well, if we win, it's not because of Kirk, and if we lose, it's not because of Kirk." And someone asked him, "Hey, what? Uh, why doesn't Kirk win the big games?" And Zimmer says, mm, "I don't know. Ask him." It's just you know, the the worst endorsements in the entire world from Zimmer on Kirk Cousins, and this was him today. I was going to say, so what did today bring? On giving him the game ball in the locker room, I think it was him solidifying himself with all the bad rhetoric that he gets sometimes. <laughs> which, by the way, like facts are not rhetoric. I mean, there's well, and certain <laughs> the rhetoric might have come from Mike Zimmer at no, times. Like the facts are, he hadn't won a playoff game. Yeah, the facts are, he hadn't won a big game as a Viking in two years. That's not rhetoric. That's everyone wondering, can this really happen, including people in the front office, including Mike Zimmer, him damn self, and including everybody in that locker room. Of course. That they were going into this game. Of course and, they were. And, and then guys in the other locker room saying, is it going to be good and or bad? And by the way, Kirk? you can't blame them for it's, that. 
It's not like this. This is not. I loved the whole notion by about four o'clock on Sunday. You see, you were all you guys were. No, it it was a genuine conversation. That was a very good point. Well, it's just past and history good for, and good for it's Kirk. just what happened. What happened was he never came through in these situations and he desperately needed it. And we may ultimately look at it as a turning point in Kirk Cousins career that he was able to come back here that. Gave him sort of that swing to feeling confident to be able to co- show up in these big situations, saying, I did it before, I can do it again. Yep. Because it felt like so many times there was something in his head, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't run around here, I can't be aggressive here, I can't make this throw or that throw, mm-hmm. and and no one believes in me in the locker room, and no one believes in, with me and the fans and all that. So to have that moment, players on the team are going to believe in guys who win. It's really that simple. We we think of things a little bit differently, more analytically, more statistically about quarterbacks and everything else. Players look at it as, does the guy win? It's why they love Teddy. Yeah, he's a great person. But if he was just a great person and terrible player, they yeah, would be like, yeah. well, whatever, cut him. Yeah. Right? Yes. But, but he won. And that's why they liked him so much. Yes. And so with Kirk winning in this situation and it being him, dropping the dimes, great throws, Yep. that's big. But just to, to finish the quote from Zimmer, um, he just said, uh, you know, with all the bad rhetoric he gets all the time, I just felt like it was time to tell a lot of people that he's our guy and he did it, which is, uh, it's just, you know, I mean, that's, that's the NFL. That's the league. Like I can't even really make fun of it because that's the league. It's yesterday at whatever, 1145. It's Zimmer might get fired after this game. Now it's Zimmer's the coach for life. It's Kirk is a choker and can never win a playoff game. They win the coin toss in overtime. If they don't, he's still a choker. But yeah. if they, you but know, this is Mike. Did, you know what I mean? Like but this, this is, is smart league. of Mike too, because this is Mike saying, "I need this again yep. and oh, again." Yeah. And so what? What is smarter? Because you could have listened if the two of us had come downstairs at the Superdome to give out game balls. I'm not saying we wouldn't have thought of Kirk eventually, but there were defensive game balls that would have been oh, yeah. front and Didn't center first. But yeah. but Mike knows he's got those guys. Right? Yeah. So this looks good. It's smart. It's smart. But I just find it so intriguing that the reality, if you strip away everything, the reality of this win was this was always the Zimmer blueprint. Yes. That win was, if you had said, the day Kirk signed, if you had sat Mike down and said, Mike, all right, you're not thrilled to have this quarterback, but he's he's probably, or he is an improvement on case. Now let's talk about the blueprint. He would have gone through this game. A hundred percent. Defense. That was my adjustments. Yes. This This, is a Zimmer win. This was, but yeah, this is his dream win. His dream win. Let uh, let me say this about his his quote on Cousins today. He finally got it right with what to say about Kirk Cousins. For the first time in two years now, he finally said the right thing about Kirk Cousins. Not, yeah, yeah, I wasn't happy what he told you guys in the media. Like, what? That's what you're criticizing Cousins for? Yep. Or, you know, if we win, it's not his fault. But if we lose, it's not his fault. Really? That's what you're saying about him? This is the right statement about Cousins that should have been made at other times during this season, I think. For him to say, look, all of you people who are saying he can't win this or he can't win that, he's a really good quarterback, and he's got great numbers, and I don't know what you guys are talking about, and he's our guy. But Zimmer cannot do anything except for tell you the truth. So now he's super happy that he won. Now yes. he's ready to tell you all to bleep off. But Mike Mike expects the same thing that you do, that I do, 
that players on the Vikings do. Mm-hmm. And that is, once in a while, a quarterback has to do this. Yes. And that's make the some thing. throws. Yeah. yeah. If, look, Kirk had a chance at Green Bay. Didn't happen, right? Kirk had a chance at Kansas City. Didn't happen. At Seattle, same thing. Green Bay here. So this was, Mike has only told us what we all thought already. And Kirk finally did it, and now he's going to get credit. But what's so funny about the storyline to me is the reality is it's the defense. And look, the offense is good. Cook is back. That's great. Thielen is seemingly healthy now. That's important. But when you look at that performance five years from now, when I bring up that game, you're going to tell me, one, Superdome noise, because you don't forget that. No, you don't. And two, you're going to tell me the defense that day. I might also mention the restaurants I ate at because wow. all the food in New Orleans oh is great. Gosh. But you know what? You're not going to talk about the quarterback play. Well, I mean, you might bring it up no, eventually. No, no, no. Here's here's what I would say. But you're going to talk. You about will the talk about that drive. You will talk about the overtime drive. And this was always and has always been how I've felt about quarterback play. And this is in a bubble, and it's one game, and and you know, so this is not a, a grand statement about Cousins now that I'm all of a sudden changing from what it was before. Be, be careful, because Twitter's coming after you if you I know. Are. They were coming after me for saying Zimmer was going to get fired, and I was against it. Yeah, people didn't really understand that uh, trade no, thing I to the Dallas spent, Cowboys. I spent the whole week saying that, yeah, I wouldn't trade him to the Dallas Cowboys or fire him, and yet I got tweets yesterday, do you want to fire Zimmer now? Like, no, I actually never wanted to. Anyway, that's just an, an aside. People get really hostile and crazy, especially when they games. win. Especially yeah. when they win, then it's oh yeah, yeah. Then it's, it's see, see, they showed you something. I'm like, I, I said it was going to be a great close game, and it was. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't have been more right about everything. I even called the last play. Anyway, so. uh, you're still you're welcome. Everyone. I'm still mad at you. I'm still mad. I'm going to tweet you right now. Uh, yeah, it is. It is just like I have to. Sh- idiot. I have to shut off the mentions because people get so violent oh, I, on on Twitter during enjoy, these games. I enjoy them. But the way that I'll remember yesterday's game is, yes, starting with the atmosphere. There's nothing like that ever that I have been around in, in sports. Huh? Uh, but after that, it will be shutting down Drew Brees. At, at, as as like the number one, holy, you shut down Drew Brees, shut him down, six point three yards per attempt. That's what you would expect from Chase Daniel, yeah. like not Drew Brees. He played like Chase Daniel mm-hmm. yesterday. That's number one, and then number two is the drive because for the most part in that game, Cousins was not special. He made some plays that he needed to make. And this is where the way that I generally evaluate quarterback play is what can you do with your skill set and can you make plays when you need to make them? So Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen. Josh Allen does not make plays when you need him to make them unless they're playing bad teams. But they needed one play from him and he ran backwards. And they needed one play from him and he heaved the ball to nobody. Like that's your quarterback. Deshaun Watson, they need a play from Deshaun Watson. He made a bunch of them in that game to win with a far inferior team. And Brady's whole career making a play. Russell Wilson in a game that, like, yeah, you better win because their quarterback went down, but it's not super easy. He made the plays he needed to make. The deep bomb to DK Metcalf at the end of that game, just marvelous, throwing the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, Kirk fell into that category of, you didn't play great all game, and that's a good team with a good defensive coordinator and good talent, and at times they kicked your ass. But you made plays when you needed to make them. 
That's why I have, and a lot of people do, including Sean Payton and Mike Zimmer, a lot of respect for Teddy Bridgewater. Because the stats weren't always wonderful. It wasn't always pretty. The throwing motion isn't the best thing I've ever seen. But he would make the plays on third and long. He would make the plays late in the game. He would lead the game-winning drive. And he would do it consistently. And a lot of these great quarterbacks do it consistently. Deshaun Watson is like the you know the biggest stage. He does it against Alabama. So I would expect him to do it in the NFL, and he has. If Cousins, if this is some sort of turning point for him, yep. and we see it on a regular basis, yep. he goes from a pretty good quarterback to a really good quarterback. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen because you know our friend Myron Metcalf tweeted, did uh, Kirk win the Super Bowl yesterday? I'm like, oh, somebody had to be that guy, didn't they, Myron? But if he's able to do it on a more consistent basis, if he's cleared some sort of hurdle, then it's a different conversation all of a sudden about Kirk Cousins. So the step that Kirk took to me was the one where continually after the Kansas City game, after the Seattle game, after the Green Bay games, we talked about you don't have to play great, but lead that drive. Just do that. Do that one thing. The one thing that I thought was so important to the drive in overtime on Sunday also was he had Cook. He had Thielen. He had them healthy. The Saints had to be concerned about Cook. Cook, if I'm not mistaken, about three plays before the long throw to Thielen went for 11 yards and, and a first down. Diggs had caught a first down on on third and one on a tough pass that Diggs can catch and Kirk can make that throw. And then I loved the shot, too. I loved that shot. I loved that they showed. Ultimately, I'm sure as a play caller, it can be a little bit difficult to be like, okay, we're going to throw a pass that's fairly high risk here. But, and Collar, we've talked about this for months, Kirk Cousins can make that pass. And so the confidence that they showed, if you had come to me before that play and said, we're considering either a screen or a deep shot, I would say deep shot. Without, in a second. If, if you got the look, take the deep in shot. In a second. Because that's his throw. Because he can make that throw. Yep. And, and so Kirk deserves credit for making a really good throw, but they also deserve credit for saying, we know he can do it. Because I, I think it was with, if I'm not mistaken, this year it was the game at Ford Field in Detroit where, where they made a similar, or in that case, a dagger throw. And it was risky. And Diggs caught it. And yep. it was beautiful. Yep. That's Kirk's throw. And, this, so, and a great play call on both instances by Kirk. Absolutely. Spansky. Absolutely. Yep. But, that, but that's the step of, Kirk, make a play. It might not be the play that we're all expecting. But in Kirk's case, it's a play that Kirk can make. All right. I've got... Two questions for you when we return. Do you hate this thing I want to ask you about? Does this drive you crazy? And also, is that it for Brady and Breeze? Like, did we just see the last of Brady and Breeze? Let's talk about it when we return. Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Judd Zelgada here on Score North. Score North Download Time. Jonathan here with this hour's download destination. Winter St. Paul featuring the Wells Fargo Winter Skate and the Securian Financial Super Slide is open now through February 22nd at CHS Field in St. Paul. The Wells Fargo Winter Skate opens daily at 11 a.m. and the Securian Financial Super Slide is open Thursday through Sunday. For more information, visit scorenorth.com keyword winter. Play action. Cousins. Thielen. He's got it. Inside the five. The ball sitting at the two. Two yards away from a win. Cousins throws. Passes. Caught for the win. Kyle Rudolph and the Vikings are moving on. 
Those were the two key pass, two of the three key pass plays in overtime for the Vikings. And talking to the media today, Mike Zimmer was asked about the mindset going into overtime, looking for the win. Here's what he said: We wanted to go win. I, you know, I I told a bunch of defensive guys, we're not leaving nothing in the bag. You know, we're going to go for it. And uh, whether they would have got the ball back or whatever, we're not. You know, we didn't come here to to try to tie or lose or whatever it was. So we're going to take our shots. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here in Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad. Do you hate it, Judd, that Kevin Stefanski will interview on Thursday with the Carolina Panthers of Carolina? You sure they're Carolina? Do I hate it? North, uh, North Carolina. Do I hate it? Um, if I'm a Vikings employee if i'm mike zimmer i probably do if i'm a, if i'm a vikings fan i a hardcore fan i probably do but i guess my question becomes it, the guy deserves the opportunity as well yeah so personally no i don't but it's a short week so that doesn't help the cause now if kevin was the only one coming up with offensive ideas and schemes i might hate it a little bit more but i got my guy gary in his office uh thinking about what we can do so rico denison and uh and did did you see that (laughs) i thought you weren't gonna say rico did did you see that only ironically zimmer told (laughs) zimmer told buck and aikman at some point when, when they were in the production meeting in the past couple days he said, since I got here in 2014, my best hire is Gary. He said, my oh, best hire is Gary, yeah. without well, a question. he told us but that, that the best Shermer. thing that ever happened to him in his life was Gary. Yeah. That was weird. Okay, but that includes Shermer, too. So, do I... Would I like it if I'm the Vikings? No. But it's how the system works, and Kevin deserves this opportunity, so I certainly wouldn't stop him from get, from getting this chance. I also saw that he might talk to... that He's Cleveland. at least eligible to talk to Cleveland yeah. as well on Thursday. So, thir- Thursday must be the day where things are installed by enough that they don't have to have them around as much. Mm, yeah. I don't know. It's it's far from ideal. I'll give you that. Zimmer said in his career that Gary was the best thing to happen to him. One of the best things that ever happened to him in his career. Which I hey, can't I disagree mean, with him. Gary's Look at Gary. Amazing. Honestly, yeah. his career is truly amazing. Look at Gary. Turning quarterbacks like Brian Greasy and Jake Plummer and now Kirk Cousins and, and running games, and Matt Schaub, and running, and turning running backs and into superstars, lines. turning superstar running backs into Hall of Famers. I mean, the guy is a damn genius. Zone blocking, he he absolutely is. And to have him on the staff has been a massive difference. Yeah, so, of course, I could see why Mike Zimmer was saying that, but I don't think that that means it's great that Kevin Stefanski no. is going to be gone to interview with. Well, the he's not Carolina gone, right? They, they come here, or well, but away, comes away, here. away from his work. Um, are they going to go out to lunch? Or are they going to they going to do it like in TCO Performance Center? They might have to, for all I know. Kind of strange. Yeah, I guess I don't know how these things work, but it does seem odd. Yes, I will give you that. To be doing it in a short week where you're playing on Saturday, yes, feels weird and feels like could we wait? Like just maybe Sunday after the game. Can I ask you a question? Or? Why if you play on Sunday, do you have to play on Saturday? Wouldn't it make more sense to have the Saturday? Yeah. Of course it would. Like, why are they making a play on Saturday? I wish I had a good explanation for you. I would think that in this league, in a game that big, I would really appreciate the entire week. Yeah, I agree. To build it up and then for the team to get the rest. And that's one of the reasons it's so difficult to go from a sixth seed deep sure. into the playoffs. And the Vikings will not have an easy road as they go to San Francisco. I guess I, Kevin Stefanski deserves to be 
an NFL head coach. Mm-hmm. The, his experience, his background, being in multiple position coaches, working for multiple coaches, Gary Kubiak, Pat Shermer, working with this guy and having a lot of success with him on, underneath them. I mean, he's he's earned that this year with this offense. And in that overtime, he was just at his best. I don't agree with every play call, but sometimes, like, again, to the fans on Twitter who are insane, it's like, yeah, I know, I know. It wasn't the best play call. I agree with you. Like, there will be times where we don't all think the offensive coordinator made the play call that we would have made. And I would say stop running reverses, if you could. Just, just cut it out. Yep. Just don't do that. Just and, take that out. And don't, don't have digs throw. And don't pitch stop. at the goal line. Yeah, don't pitch at the goal line. I don't okay. like pitching at the goal but, line. But, That's but just me. This Stefanski, he needs to... Get his stuff together because he hey, made a passionate. bad play call. Yeah, I, passionate. I know. That's it's what great. I hate you and me. I, but the the lunacy just sometimes. I'm like, oh my gosh, they like take a play off on Twitter or just maybe <laughs> maybe just watch the game without social media. And I like your engagement, but you're crazy sometimes, people. Um, I, I think Stefanski's deserving. I think for an organization like Carolina, he would be the right fit for what they're looking for. They want to. Take a step forward and be a more modern organization. And I think maybe if he's smart enough not to put Cam Newton on the field well injured and then further injure him like Ron Rivera did. Um, is Cam back there, you think? I think he is. Okay. And he could bounce back if he's doing a lot of the same things that Stefanski has done with Kirk. And I know that they're extremely different quarterbacks. But there are some principles that just work really well when you have a running back that's very dangerous and can catch the ball in the backfield, the screen passes, the swing passes, the, the, the quick checkdowns, the rollouts and bootlegs and things like that that I think Cam Newton could probably execute pretty well. Sure. If Stefanski's bringing something like that to the table, yeah, I, I think that that could work. And I think you have to give Cam one more shot there. It's been injuries two straight seasons. But if he is anywhere near 100%, he is one of the best quarterbacks, or at least one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in the NFL where any given week he could put up crazy numbers. Can he bounce back, do you think? I think he's probably, Physically? I think he's probably too broken. That's what I, my concern would be. But I feel like you have to give it a shot. Right. I think that's a better organization to go to by a lot. Than Cleveland? Than Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland's a better roster. I don't, tr- I don't trust Cleveland. It's a better roster, but it's not a better organization. I do not trust them. You, one bit. And, and I, don't, I don't trust Baker at all. And, and Baker will screw you. Like, Baker is going to get so many coaches fired. Look how many coaches Jameis Winston has gotten fired. They had to bring in a guy who they were sure was good as a coach. So they could be like, wait, did Winston get all these good coaches fired? Oh, no. He did, didn't he? He only threw he got, 30 picks. I don't know what you're got, talking about Because anymore. now they have a good coach. And, oh, no, Winston was actually the thing and not all the well, coaches The Browns are dysfunctional from the very top. Right. And Ownership is Carolina completely messed up. Carolina is going in the right direction. I just... Look at this having to be on Thursday, like, oh, okay, in the middle of the week, huh? Um, all right, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is if you think that this is it for Breeze and Brady. Is that the last time in the postseason we will ever see Tom Brady and Drew Breeze? I will say on both counts, no and no, it's not it. Uh, Br- uh, Brady, in my mind, is going to play for sure. I don't think he's back with the Patriots. I don't know how this works. I, I heard a scenario today thrown out that was fairly intriguing that said because Kraft loves Tom so much, they could actually see a scenario where Kraft brings Tom back, pairs him with McDaniels as his head coach, and and allows Bill to go to the organization that is near and dear to Bill's heart, the New York Giants. I thought that was very intriguing because Bill Belichick loves Big Blue. Loves the Giants. 
And Kraft probably loves Tom more than he loves Bill based on, on the fact that mm. he basically forced Bill to trade fascinating. our guy now, Garoppolo, yeah. to San Francisco. Uh, I don't think Tom is done. I think Tom plays either with the Patriots or somewhere next year, and it would not surprise me if he makes the playoffs again. Bree, Breeze I'm thrown on because he looked like he was 22 and just out of a Division three school yesterday. Yeah. But that being said, I also don't think he's done, and I think he's probably back with the Saints. And... So that leaves Teddy Bridgewater to sign where? I've got a few places. Yeah, I saw what Courtney Cronin insinuated this week. Well, what did she say? She uh, she pointed out the fact that um, what the safety the Bears have is a Jackson. That, Eddie Jackson. That oh, yeah, that they're him, shuffling money. That they might be yeah. shuffling money around to try and get um, Teddy Bridgewater in Chicago. The situations that makes some Teddy sense. could land in are all pretty good. Los Angeles Chargers is a possibility for him. Yep. Uh, Chicago Bears is a uh, Trubisky got the you know vote, vote of confidence yeah. that we just, you know don't believe in. it was ex- it was an exciting day <laughs> when Vikings fans heard the vote of confidence but I'll buy it when he's starting game Courtney's one. right that you can't trust it um those are those are two really good places to start but how about Tampa Bay Tampa Bay yeah. would be amazing for Teddy Bridgewater yep. you go there with Bruce Arians a great coach their defense became good this year, which it has not been in the past. They have two of the best wide receivers in the NFL and an offensive line that they're building up and could probably continue to build, and it's in the state of Florida. That would make so much sense for Teddy Bridgewater. Usually when you're looking at teams that need quarterbacks, you go, eh, well, this one, this one, this one, I don't know. You know you're probably going, yeah, last year the only available team was Miami, and he said, no. Nah. New. And he's from right? there. And, and he's from there, right. And he just uh, he decided to be a backup instead. I don't think that Breeze retires after having such a great year where he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL by quarterback I think he's back and, with, a bunch with of other Peyton. stats. I, I think so, too. I think they give them one more shot at this yep. and then after that. But Sean Payton did tell Mike Zimmer that he thought he had his future quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. So I don't know. But that is such a... Bad way for Drew Brees to end his career. He's such a great competitor. And are you going to push him out the door? Yeah, you can't. You can't really. The Brady thing is more intriguing because of what appears to be a fracture, more so in the Belichick Brady relationship. Like the pay, as far as I know, the Peyton Brees relationship remains really good. Brady Belichick is uh, is more of an oddity. Yes, it has been very weird with that relationship for a while. And when your quarterback forces your coach slash GM to trade a good player who could be the next quarterback, that's going to make things uncomfortable. And then there's the TB12 stuff and his personal yes. trainer. And eventually, when you're around each other this long, I guess there can be some friction. Uh, I've got the team, though, for Bridgewater. Okay. I have it. Can you guess it? The best number one on my list. If I was just ranking all the teams, Teddy Bridgewater could go to this, 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 this. I have not named him yet number one. So Tampa Bay is number two on your list, Tampa obviously. Tampa Bay is number two, yes. Uh, well, you just went down a path that, uh, that takes Carolina out of the mix because you said you think Cam Newton should be back there. I do. I would. I mean, I'd include would, them in the a, conversation. He'd be an intriguing one in Carolina if they made a change. I, I don't know. Give it to me. Indianapolis Colts. Mm, Jacoby Brissett is not a starting quarterback. He's a great backup. He's a Case Keenum. Which is where TB12 might go. He could go there. Phillip Rivers could go there. Frank Reich, in my mind, is an excellent coach. And they have a great offensive line, which Teddy Bridgewater would be like, what is going on? Why is everyone blocked? 
Um, yeah, although who, he had that this that year. Hall he, of Fame guard? When, yeah, I know. What's a Hall of Fame guard? When he won all those games this year, he probably felt the same way of like, why am I not like having to throw the ball away every other play because TJ Clemmings let someone just walk right by me? Uh, but it's a team with a great infrastructure. Yeah, They've got some good weapons, but they can increase those weapons in a draft that is heavy with great wide receiver prospects this year. They can improve their defense. And in that division, it's not the easiest but it's also doable. Jacksonville brought back Marone, so we know where they're going to be. Yep. Last. And Houston is bad. Their quarterback is great, but their coach is meh, and the roster stinks. And there's only so much Deshaun Watson's going to be able to do forever. Tennessee, I think, has a good coach, but they're going to re-sign Tannehill because he won and against you think Brady. he's going to fall off face of no, the earth I, again? I actually think he's good, but like, I, think, they I might, think he's this good. I think they might be solid now, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good team. That's a good team. But if you're Indy, you can win that division next year. You feel like you can win it if you have good quarterback play. They could have won it this year until Jacoby Brissett really started to fall apart because he's Jacoby Brissett. Mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater to Indianapolis, I think you're in good shape. So you're saying Teddy, possibly Colts, Colts, possibly Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is number two. Carolina has to, especially if Stefanski goes there, they have to factor in somewhere. I don't love the infrastructure of that team. I don't love where they're at right now. I mean, the Bears would be smart to explore. The Bears, I I know that Ryan Pace made the trade and traded up to get Trubisky, and he passed on Mahomes and Watson. I know all of that. But if you do look at Chicago, boy, Teddy would be a nice, nice QB there. I don't like the coach. I'm not really high on Matt Nagy. Brad Childress Jr., and that's the problem. Don't laugh, Declan. He's Brad Childress Jr. I'm Sage, not kidding. Sage put it perfectly. And and I, I just totally agree. And I couldn't figure out what is it that I hate about this offense. Yep. And Sage said he's just out there calling plays. Like there isn't yep. there isn't this yeah. Stefanski like philosophy of like, okay, this guy runs this route perfectly and this guy fits with this. They're not matching just, up the yeah, scheme to it's fit. Just, yes. You go run these plays and yes. you go make these throws. And why is or why are we three years into Mitch Trubisky's career and he's still missing the same throws? Like why is he still making those throws right. if that's not what he does well? So I'm not sure that I would love that combination of him. I, I look at Nagy as kind of like a glorified DeFilippo where he knows the game and is super knowledgeable. But then Matt's not it, going to be there that long. Yeah, that's If probably, that's the case, that's he's true. probably got one year left if, they, if, if he's not that good. Teddy in the division would make things pretty interesting, but I, I would if I'm him. Tampa Bay and the Colts <laughs> are the ones. For. Those are the ones I'm saying. Okay, that would be really, really interesting. So, what, what's your best guess about where Brady lands in 2020? He's not going Just, away. He is not going to retire. It's it's a hard situation there because Robert Kraft is the guy that once moved on from Curtis Martin because they just felt that he had an injury history, and they didn't want to pay him. And remember, the Jets made him the highest-paid running back in the entire NFL. He had a great career, and he ends up in the Hall of Fame. So maybe it was a mistake by Robert Kraft to not pay him. But he's been behind, in a way, all the Belichick moves of this guy's old and we have to move on from him. The way that Brady looked at this point, I know his receivers weren't great, but there's only so much you could blame on receivers. He looked like he just couldn't do it anymore. And if he's going to come back and age is undefeated, if he's going to come back and look like that, then they're going to go eight and eight or something right. next year. Somebody's going to somebody will give him a chance. Oh, someone pick him up. I just think if you're the Patriots, if you're and this is this would be the major low key one for Teddy is the Patriots. That if Tom Brady moved on and you're Bill Belichick and you win out that battle, Bill would love him and. 
bring in another guy who does a lot of the same things, a lot of the you know intermediate accuracy, kind of a winner, a leader, all those things that Brady has been. Of course, not to the Brady level with a bunch of championships, but right. some of the same traits of a quarterback. That would make sense, too. Of course, the Patriots would be top of your list if that's a possibility. My best guess is, same as yours, that he's back with the Patriots, that they draft some receivers or sign some receivers or whatever they're going to do, and they're going to try and blame those people. Are they done? I think they are. I think, I've think i said it a thousand times, so I'm tired yeah. of trying to be, be right about that one because I've never been right before. But Saturday looked... You know why I think so? Did not look good. Because of Deshaun Watson, because of Patrick Mahomes, because of Lamar Jackson. The AFC has now the most dynamic quarterbacks in the entire NFL. And if you're going to tell me that old Brady, who's playing like he is this year, ends up with those guys that he's got to beat in terms of his route to get to the Super Bowl, he was able to beat your Roethlisbergers and Manning sometimes um, to, to get to the Super Bowl when he was in his prime. But subprime and those guys are bringing as much value as the Mannings and the Roethlisbergers and, and, and so forth. Right. I find it to be pretty difficult to say that they're that they're not done. So if you're Brady, would you make the move and go to the NFC? Because you know, because like you just said, you have to face those three quarterbacks in your own conference. Would you go to the NFC? Well, where where are you going? I mean, are you going to Chicago? That one's hard to see. I think the only option would be like him doing a LeBron. LeBron going to Los Angeles is entirely because LeBron lives in Los Angeles. Because right. he's like the but richest I've, guy I've ever, so you I might as well live in Los Angeles. My theory is that Belichick traded Garoppolo to San Francisco to mm-hmm. cut off Brady's childhood dream of playing yeah. as a 49er. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he probably did. Because he could have ended up in better, San Francisco. He had a better offer. Yeah, he could have. Been in San Francisco, and it could have been, you know, Tom Brady could plays for the same team. Joe Montana, his boyhood idol, did, but he lives in L.A. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Well, so if they move on from Rivers, Chargers, maybe yeah, and he goes to play for the Chargers because now what's a better and Rivers not quitting either? And, and but think about, and he would go to Indianapolis. But think about uh, the Chargers from their perspective of we're opening a new stadium. No one likes yeah, us. You're right. You're right. In the tickets. entire world. Yep. The media might care. <laughs> we have no fans. The media doesn't care right except now. Except for those six people who were there the day the Vikings played in that soccer stadium. That would make By the them way, instantly can you, relevant. Can you believe that the Saints and Chargers, and you went to both those stadiums this year, are in the same league? That, um, that soccer yeah. stadium that you attended a Vikings game at is in the same league yeah. or was as the Saints. Think about the difference there. Yeah. The DJ. The DJ out in California. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was a mess. Uh, all right, so this week, Judd, what is your number one storyline? Because tomorrow they're going to have availability, so yep. I'll be out there, TCO Performance Center. Yep. What's what's the talk this week? What's oh, the big story? To me, c- coming off of the masterpiece that the head coach of the Vikings put on Sunday, Zimmer v. Shanahan. Mm. It's like a legal case. Zimmer v. Shanahan is going to be so fun to watch. I think that the Shanahan offense is better suited to beat Zimmer's defense than Sean Payton's was. What's the wrinkle this time, do you think? Because he's going to have to be a wrinkle. It's the misdirection. It's the rollouts. It's the fullback. It's the boot. Oh, legs. I'm sorry. It's no. The, what's like, What do you think? I'm asking you for the prediction of the Zimmer wrinkle. Oh, the Zimmer what's wrinkle. What's the Zimmer wrinkle that we don't see coming? The Zimmer twist. Hmm. 
Well, I didn't see this one coming with no, Roger Jefferson Griffin over the guard, I so I'm either. not sure what it is. Would it be... What's next? Would it be to dare Jimmy Garoppolo to beat him deep? Like, their receivers are good, but they're not great. It'd be something like that. Would it be bring Harrison Smith up? They run the ball insanely well. They average like five yards of carry running the ball. Yeah. So would it be... I like it. Would it be Harrison Smith in the box blitzing all day long? Like, would they decide... Because usually what old school coordinators will say is you cover against the good ones, you blitz the bad ones. Do you think Garoppolo's the bad one? And remember... Can 29 hold up? When he throws... Probably not. When he throws the pick six, opening day, what happened? They blitzed them. Yeah. So... This is my story. I think that's what it is. Zone blitzes. Love it! Get ready for them. All right. Purple Daily will be here all week. So make sure you listen. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Already? I'll be right there. It's happening. Take I-5 South. You are on the fastest route. Mom says, OMG, I'll let everyone know. You have arrived. Honey, I'm, I'm right here. She's doing great. We're almost there. She's perfect. Hey, baby girl. The whole world can't wait to meet you. Live larger with more coverage. Share your news, big and small, on AT&T, the network that now covers more than 99% of Oregonians. Visit your AT&T store to learn more. Coverage isn't available everywhere based on third-party data. 